0: Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, episode 80, the one about Video Editing 101, Top 100 TV Ads, Google Traffic Widget, and The Empire Strikes Back. Let's get on with the show. Well, hello, and welcome to another
1: recording of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. We are back with more news, tech content, and wisdom from the world of marketing. Joining me and man on a mission to keep marketing simple, the voice of the marketing and finance podcast, and the author of Kat's Mats and Marketing Plans, I give you Monsieur Roger
0: Edwards. Oh, thank you so much. And of course, I am also joined by a man who is also on a mission to demystify digital marketing, the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast. Please welcome from France, Monsieur. <laughs> Pascal Fintoni.
1: Thank you very much, everybody. This is number 880, eight Roger Edwards. My
0: goodness. How did it get to 80, <laughs> Pascal? It's almost two years ago since we started this show, isn't it? Right in the middle of the first lockdown. I know. And you uh, know, it was both a combination of, you know, keeping boredom
1: at bay, but also, you know, we would talk to each other almost daily. And we kept saying we should record this conversation. We should record this conversation, and after that, a two gigs a marketing podcast was born. And the support from the audience has been just amazing. So listen, it's all your fault. You know, if you keep um, thanking us <laughs> and praising us, we're going to keep going. But uh, we we wanted to do something special for number eighty, and yeah. you came up with a
0: very good plan, my dear friend. Well, I cannot believe this, but it is forty two years ago almost to the day since the launch of the empire strikes back in 1980 and given the fact that the pandemic has messed up the last two years (laughs) we'll just chop those two extra years off and we'll just call it the 40th anniversary of the empire strikes back so that's the film we're going to talk about later on today in film marketing Oh, my goodness. Well, the selection. I mean, I almost feel nervous about it
1: because I want to do it justice. (laughs) I just feel that we're going to be, you know, time is going to be limited. So we're going to have to focus on some key elements of the campaign. But um, yeah, it's going to be so exciting. We've got a few segments to go through, but you mentioned a moment ago, this is now an international recording. Although we're not very far from each other, if you look at the map, Uh, just about the weather conditions between Scotland and france we might as well be uh, i'm going through a hit wave which means i've had to leave my all my doors and windows open so i'll put that in advance to you uh viewers and listeners if there's some kind of
0: noise from outside sneaking in but that's not what you are going through yourself no it's howling gale and rain is still battering against the side of the house we're a few days away from the longest day from midsummer's day and it feels like i'm living in midwinter well, everyone, let's see what we can do to cheer Roger up. And let's begin, <laughs> as we've
1: done many a time for eighty-eight episodes now, in the news.
0: According to an updated code of practice on disinformation, big tech companies will be forced to disclose how they remove, block or curb harmful content in advertising. Any violation result will result in fines up to 6% of the company's global turnover.
1: Okay, well in a recent press release, Spotify announced its intention to acquire Sonantic, a dynamic AI voice platform that creates compelling, nuanced and stunningly realistic voices from
0: text. It's true, Microsoft is retiring Internet Explorer, the browser, after 26 years. In the next few months when people try to open Internet Explorer, the newer Microsoft Edge browser will open instead. According to a survey by LinkedIn, 69% agree B2B
1: purchasing decisions are just as emotionally driven as B2C, with 81% suggesting
0: their brands are now producing creative campaigns that rival consumer brands. Meta is launching five new professional certificate courses on Coursera to get a greater talent pool into tech careers as US IT companies are struggling to fill the 1 million open positions. Wow. Well, according to a report from Oracle and author
1: podcaster Gretchen Rubin, 91% of people prefer brands to be funny, yet
0: 95% of business leaders fear using humour in consumer interactions. Panorama Plus is launching its streaming service in the UK and Ireland with a series of events across London's West End, including replica sets from Halo and Star Trek Discovery, as well as Mission Impossible Selfie Challenge. And Victoria's Secrets
1: and Company is collaborating with Roblox to create three virtual obstacle courses, complete all three challenges on the Happy Nation Hub, and up to 10,500 pairs of underwear will be donated to charity, and these for everyone. Fantastic. Okay, so I wanted to kind of uh, take you back to the news around Spotify mm-hmm. buying an AI voice platform, which means that there would be some podcasts that have been created from text read by essentially a machine.
2: Ah,
0: as a long-term podcaster, <laughs> what is your position, Mr. Roger Edwards? Oh, for goodness' sake, let's not let's not have these AI people taking over from real people. You know. I've yet to find any AI voice that, whilst sounding remarkably accurate, you still cannot get over the nuances that humans put into their voice, the inflection, the accent. You know, you'll say one word differently every time you say it, just because of the way you breathe, just because of the way you inflect. And when computers AI do voice it's always the same i I mean i'll use an example for about 20 years at edinburgh waverley station they'd had this lady and i'm sure she was a very nice lady to record all of the announcements for the trains but they used the same voice for 20 years and i got to learn the way she said every single route so you'd be walking through the station and she'd say something like platform 14 for the 13, 25 train to North Berwick. And she always said after after Berwick, North Berwick. And it's exactly the same. And it annoys you when it's exactly the same. Whereas human beings imbue their own unique style on everything they say. That's why I would fiercely, fiercely resist this. Get a human being to do it for goodness sake. Yeah, and I mean,
1: the promises from Spotify are actually interesting. They say that what you could do is be a um, a podcaster or get your voice recorded over time. There would be a bank of sounds that this platform can then reuse based on text. So, promise it would sound like you but you're still in, in this strange realm of fabrications and therefore would you need back to actually the code of conduct that some of the platforms are being pushed put, you know put under pressure rightly so around disinformation would you need to actually declare or oh, by the way whilst this sounds like me, this is not me, it's AI produced. Would you need to declare that around ethics and
0: honesty? Yeah, exactly, exactly. This is an AI voice. I mean, it's a bit like all of this software that creates uh, articles for you, isn't it? You know, give it a few keywords and it'll write an article. I've tried a few of them out, and what comes out is, is just rubbish. It's just rubbish. (laughs) And if people are using that and getting away with it, then, well, I'm sure they aren't getting away with it. People will spot it because... You know, even the ones that are purportedly are you know, top end just churn out garbage, in my opinion. No, Absolutely. Listen, I want to, I want to bring
1: a, a number of news together. So you've got this idea of B2B purchasing decisions being emotionally driven, very much like B2C, something that you and I have been kind of uh, stating for quite some time. You've got this idea of using humor and being witty to engage uh, audiences, but you know brands obviously being a little nervous. And then you've got uh, people like Paramount Plus and Victoria's Secrets creating essentially some form of a game or some form of outdoor experience. Uh, are, are we
0: seeing a, a change in, in attitude towards communication with audiences? This is an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, I've worked in a few big corporates, as you know, and I've struggled to get marketing campaigns through the approval process if there has been humor involved in it because they'll all be always be somebody who doesn't find it funny and those are the people who say well if I don't find it funny then you know I represent X percent of the potential audience therefore those people will not find it funny and that will damage our brand so let's not do it let's keep it safe so i suspect that what's happening here is it you know we've we've just picked out some examples of people who are prepared to do it but i still think there are a lot of people out there who'll be very very nervous so it'd be interesting to see whether you know i mean we are living in a in a difficult time at the moment where you know we're having to be more stand out with our marketing because you know people are having to you know Penny, penny pinch because of the, mm. uh, of the uh, situation that we're in, the, the cost of living crisis. So our money really needs to be justified when we spend it. And maybe people will start to be a bit brave with their advertising in order to effectively get people to buy from them.
1: And I think for me, ways which I've been trying to, you know, overcome some of the uh, the, the pushbacks has been to use the term witty, you know, mm. show that actually there's an element of intelligence and, and cleverness as opposed to being funny. And I think that's what people are sometimes worried about it. But certainly from a brand point of view, once you, you have stated the facts about, you know, who you are, who you can help and what you can do you've got to look at other ways in which you can engage an audience. I remember one, the best advice I was given as a young marketer, someone said to me, don't just give me the data, give me the drama. You know, that's when you get into the world of case studies and so on. But, you know, it's not beyond the realms of the possible that even a B2B brand could kind of make someone smile thinking, yeah, actually, that's quite a clever way to present your, your message. As we'll see very soon, um, very very quickly. One thing I've noticed recently about the the brands moving into the the, the metaverse or the AR VR world around gaming. Now, um, about a few years ago, you'd play a game and the game would give you points. Points becomes prizes for you. But more and more now, have you noticed that big brands are doing
0: um, games with regard to rewarding their chosen charities? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and uh, I'm all for that.
1: Very quickly, even though I've stopped using Internet Explorer a long time ago, I'm now a Google Chrome user, and you guys can shout at me for doing the wrong things. It felt like a sad news, actually.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm the same, Pascal. I can't remember the last time I used Internet Explorer. I I, I use a combination of Chrome and Firefox, to be honest. Okay. Um, and, yeah, Edge Edge is there. It's, it's an icon on the computer desktop, but I don't think I've ever used Edge um, purposefully sometimes i click on it by accident but i'll be sticking with google chrome and firefox i'm afraid no problem at all well listen so it's always a pleasure to get your reaction from the news
1: but let's slow things down if you don't mind and let's move on to the content spotlights All right, Roger. So, what
0: wonders from the interweb are you going to present to us today? Okay, this is an article that I found, Pascal, on a website called Creative. I think it's Creative Block. It's creative and then spelt B L O Q. So, You immediately look at it and think it's blog, but I think it's block, creative block, but please correct me if I've got that wrong. Now, the title of the article is Video Editing for Beginners, The Ultimate Guide by Kieran Moore. So it's almost like a a video editor's one oh one now it really sort of occurred to me because i've been doing quite a bit of video editing recently and as always you know i i tend to tinker around with things and i'm i'm getting pretty good at using adobe premiere pro now and let's face it adobe premiere pro is one of the leading if not the leading video editing pieces of software i mean filmmakers use adobe premiere pro to edit films on let's face it and it can do all sorts of things so i'm quite comfortable using some of this real complexity. And I'm quite comfortable talking about colour grading and talking about masking and talking about uh, all sorts of different inter, you know, ways of splicing and editing and cutting and L cuts and J, J cuts and all of this sort of thing. But it did occur to me because I was ch- talking to somebody the other day, a potential client who wants to do video and all of these concepts were were completely over this person's head. You know, this person hasn't really got past the fact that they could use a mobile phone. And that's why this article just grabbed my attention. And I'm pretty sure there are other articles out there that will do similar job to this one. But in a couple of pages, it really does just highlight all of the absolute basics that you need to know when you want to start video editing and the other thing that it occurred to me and this this is right i'm going to jump right to the conclusion of the article but of course when i think of video editing i'm thinking of doing vlogs rog vlog marketing makes simple videos but of course you can edit TikTok videos, you can edit Snapchat videos and, and, and stories that you're putting onto social media and editing gives you an advantage over other people who maybe just don't polish their their productions. So video editing is, in, is is sort of part and parcel of what we do as human beings now and yet quite a lot of the terminology goes above people's heads and that's why I think you've this article really does home in on what people can do. So, I mean, I'm not going to go through it in massive detail. It's split into a few sections and none of it will be new to you of course Pascal being a seasoned film producer yourself. But what's really good about the article is that every time he talks about a piece of software like Adobe Premiere Pro or or DaVinci Resolve or Final Cut Pro, he conveniently links to that actual piece of software. So, If anything, the article at least gives you a link to all sorts of other things that you can look at. So he starts off by suggesting the sort of software that you might want to use and goes into a little bit of detail there the aforementioned uh, davinci resolve final cut pro but we're also talking about the cheaper ones or the free ones like imovie premiere elements uh, and that sort of thing and he, and he sort of says you know what the advantages and disadvantages of each of those are and then probably one of the things that most of us forget about video editing and the hardware that you might need to use. How much memory does your computer need? What sort of um, graphics card does your computer, or or indeed your laptop need? And he goes into a little bit of detail about that as well, and suggests the sort of minimum basics that you should be looking at. It, it's it's interesting. You know, I had a load a load of problems with Premiere Pro for a long time that it just kept crashing and it kept hanging. And every time I posted on a help forum, people say your computer is obviously not up to it. You need to upgrade your computer. Well, ever since for well, probably for about the last nine months, Premiere Pro has been absolutely perfect. So I'm absolutely convinced that it was the problem with the computer program itself rather than my hardware. But it is worth checking out your hardware. And then perhaps the best bit, it goes into video editing common Editing terminology, and this is where he looks at things like what is the timeline? What does compositing mean? What does compression mean in terms of video files and how does that relate to whether you're shooting in high definition? 4k or even 8k Crikey are 8k cameras available now He's talking about a bit more about resolution aspect ratio, you know landscape versus um, portrait I think I did the hands in the wrong in the wrong order there but never mind you know what I mean and and what does b roll mean and his conclusion really is just brings it all together saying you know video editing is pretty much endemic with everything that we do now Most of us are taking video even if it's just for uh, social media and if you get into editing you'll be able to up your game and make yourself stand out just by doing a little bit of tweaking here and there. So great article Kieran and even better for all the many 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 links that you've put in the article which will help us find out more about the software and the hardware that you're talking about.
1: Thank you very much. And I will, with your permission, add that into a little um, handout when I do my video marketing course, because uh, you know one thing uh, to, back to um, Kieran Moore and his work those guides actually hard to pull together and the reason being that when you know this inside and out and when you are the expert it's actually quite a hard one to walk in the shoes of a beginner so there's the effort into that mm-hmm. and then the time and effort in creating this resource um i mean you and i would love you know to take back to, things back to simplicity in particular and I could never tire of a reading but also promoting such, such a resource. So thank you very much. Absolutely. So what have you got for us this week, Pascal? Well, I've got something that is linked to in the news, but it's a pure accident. I (laughs) am far too honest to be able to claim that this was a carefully planned one. But here's the title for you. The world's best ads of all time. Top 100 TV and video commercials revealed by John McCarthy for the drum. So we mentioned in the news about creativity, about emotionally driven uh, kind of... um, Decision-making process, and so on. And I'm thinking this is actually back to your uh, beginner's guide to video editing. This is probably one again that should be shared time and time again. You've got essentially your top 100 worldwide uh, TV adverts and commercials that have engaged an audience. Perfect for uh, you know inspiration. Perfect for stimulating maybe a workshop or even you know in kind of um, team meetings. um, And the more so, very big thank you to the Drum and of course for John McCarthy for taking the trouble to not only be the instigator and part of the team to put this together, but somebody, probably him and colleagues, had to put together the the article. Where well, all 100 who have been kind of selected by world's leading creative directors. I've uh, got the YouTube videos, or they've got at least something you can watch back to. So um, I want people to just take their time and go through them one by one. So I'm going to give you the top 10 in a moment, in reverse order, Roger. But I wanted to let you know that um, top 100, again, these are global brands, so some of them would be UKs, others, other territories. But number 100 are the smash martians
0: (laughs) i I saw that i saw that how can that that the smash martians only be 100 the smash martians (laughs) should have been in the top 10 i would have thought Yeah,
1: because um, the reason why this is almost like an an, an internal jokes, the Smash Martians has been mentioned in the news and in the uh, This Week in History by Roger, I think (laughs) even at the time sang the song, I won't ask you to do it again. So if I take it to the number 10 in River Sorda, number 10 is Mr. Wind, a German advert for a purion, which is all about changing uh, German public perception of the new energy, so wind power. I will confess that this not didn't make to the UK shores. I'm guessing Mr. Wind would not translate so well in the UK market, and it's not one of Mr. Men either. Moving on to number nine, this is an Australian advert for metro trains, Dumb Ways to Die. It's like a cartoon um, with a song telling people about the different ways people essentially die in dumb ways, particularly in Australia where everything's out there to get you. But essentially, sadly, it was all to do with people being so careless using the metro that um, they were being hit by, by the trains. And using humour, literally using um, cartoons and a song, we're making people just more aware of their surroundings, particularly when waiting on the platform. Uh, number eight was Lamp by Ikea. And it was this essentially this um, kind of pulling your, your heartstring story of a lamp being neglected by its owners and re- regaining essentially its place on, on the table. And it was meant to be, again, very humorous, but also actually bring a few tears to, you, to your eyes with the right music and so on. Number seven, you remember this from your days in marketing? Point of view by the Guardian. Do you remember there was that very oh, yeah. short, uh, th- black and white for memory uh, advert where, where we saw a um, essentially a thug, a hooligan, a skinhead running towards somebody dressed very smartly, like one of those. Uh, in- Investors in London. And um, the perception was that this gentleman was going to be attacked by the thug, and In fact, he was being uh, protected because uh, above the gentleman's, there was this spinal brick about to fall on top of him and the guy was claiming that they would always give you the story from different perspectives you mm. can make up your mind. Number six, it was Odyssey by Levi's Jean. Remember that young couple running through buildings and crashing through walls yep. and, and jumping in the air? It was so technically um, impressive. That's meant number six. Number five, Touch by Skittles playing to the King Midas um, you know, kind of a curse where everything you touch would turn to gold. That was King Midas, but of course with Fat Gentleman, it was everything turned into Skittles. And technically as well, and special effects was incredible. Number four, The Man Your Man Could Smell Like by Old Spice. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that one vividly? Number three, 1984 by Apple. In fact, as we know, uh, produced and filmed by Ridley Scott. Number two, Surfer by Guinness. Mm. And number one, Cog by Honda. who were playing back to this idea when you're now with children, playing, putting um, little dominoes vertically together and then pushing the first one to knock all the others. And they literally had dismantled the car, the different parts, and Ichbar was pushing the other one into this mesmerizing advert. It was a very long advert for memory with the closing line, isn't nice when things you know, work fine. So these is an incredible resource for markets, but also business owners. And I think a great way to stimulate imagination or to just facilitate
0: a um, conversation between colleagues. I knew the Guinness one would be in there. Um, yeah. yeah, number two, uh, yeah, I, I knew it would be in the top 10. And I'd actually forgotten about the Honda advert, but yeah, I can see why. What a great resource, Pascal, and I can uh. see that I'll probably get sucked into that this afternoon, going through those. But I'm still annoyed that the Smash Martians only made it to 100.
1: <laughs> no, absolutely. Well, listen, let's look at um, how some of it has been made possible thanks to technology with the marketing tech and app segment. Now, every week, Roger and I go around looking for tech and solutions that can make life easier as a marketer and business owner.
0: So what have you got for us this week, Roger? A couple of updates for you this week actually, Pascal, and as you remember a couple of episodes ago I was talking about Photoshop and how I'd found buried deep within their help menu some really useful shortcuts for things like removing the background or putting a circle, uh, a, a glowing line around a subject and that sort of thing, and I drew the conclusion at the time that they had done something like that effectively to compete against the likes of Canva who already do this sort of thing but i did wonder why have they hidden away in their menu well this week i found out that photoshop which don't forget is part of the adobe creative cloud package which is actually quite expensive if you buy the full package you've got photoshop you've got adobe premiere pro which we've already mentioned today you've got after effects you've got adobe audition which is audio editing and loads of other packages that's going to set you back unless you can find a special offer about $50 a month but soon Photoshop is going to be free kind of what they're going to be doing is they're going to be putting a free version out there but of course quite a lot of the functionality will be grayed out and I imagine the idea is that they're just going to get people to play with it and to see whether they actually want to subscribe for the full version. And again, I just wonder whether this is a reaction to the likes of Canva, because Canva gets more sophisticated day in, day out. You know, I'm I'm absolutely Mm. staggered by how good Canva is. And I'm sure that for people who just want basic editing and basic graphic design, you know, why would you want to spend $20 up to $50 a month For the adobe suite when you can get it for a lot cheaper with canva and again there's a free version of canva you can use as well so interesting to see that and what i'll do is i'll come back maybe in six months time and see whether it's affected sales of either photoshop itself or indeed canva and the second update again is to google maps now I've never really been one for using satnav in a car, Pascal. I just usually have a look on a map, know where I'm going to go, and I set off and, you know, that's it. I, I, I've, I've used satnav a few times when um, Trish has been in the car, and I do tend to get annoyed with the voice saying, in 150 yards you know it's going back to that voice it's the it's the computer voice that doesn't have any inflection or anything like that Uh, and and maybe that's resulted in me getting lost a few times in the past and not getting to a destination on time but hey that's the way it is but the one good thing about satnav, of course is that it does highlight if there's any traffic congestion coming up ahead of you and it tends to mark it with a orange line or a yellow line if it's pretty bad and red if it's gridlocked and google maps has now updated itself as a widget that you can add on to it and it will do the same thing it will put the red lines the yellow lines and the green lines on roads and other traffic uh, places within cities to let you know about the congestion so i just thought that was quite interesting I, i do like google maps for all sorts of reasons you know the 3d part of it that you can now hover above cities is almost so photorealistic that in at a pinch you could use it in place of a drone shot at some in, in some respects so good updates there from google maps and photoshop being free kind of yeah, no, very good. Um, I mean, and both of those now
1: are very impressive. I think it's this constant, you know, adjustment to the to to market forces and demand. With the Google Maps, I mean, I'm a huge fan of of the of the app itself. I mean, I'm not as brave as you. If I go anywhere now, I'll, I'll be using it. But w- what is interesting is that promised since 2018, if I'm not mistaken, that Google Maps would become a social network, mm. and they've not gone ahead with it. Which I think is is, is interesting that the, the elements that they're introducing there and then will. Now message each other. We can do a bit more with your entry on um your Google business profile, but we're still waiting for the, the fully you know fledged um social networks. So I think it'd be fascinating. They were saying that they would launch it around interest like food or sports mm. and that, mm. that kind of things. So it would be a much calmer environment than you know, Facebook, I suspect Twitter and others, which is only those within your network will ever hear from you and, and, and all the others. Yeah. Now for my part, I got myself into a strange rabbit hole around audio production and so on. Because I've changed my environment when we record two gigs, but also any uh, form of content, I've once again inherited some strange background noise, hiss, and and, and more, (laughs) and I'm trying to find ways to get rid of them. Um, I'm tweaking and using the virtual dials to to do it. I even got in touch with uh, our friend Mark Asquith, who captured saying uh, what what is happening. But I was reminded of a platform called Ophonic, and Ophonic is primarily a kind of audio cleaning service of sort. But they've released a, a in beta, a new feature, which is around noise reduction. And so I want to let people know that you should uh, definitely consider ophoning for your kind of workflow as part of your audio production, even video production for that matter, uh, I would argue. But the fact is that they've got a new noise reduction feature. I'm wondering because people like me have been saying, oh, there's new noise appearing you know, uh, all the time. I've learned something new as well. I've been told that uh, you get more noise, more hiss, and that kind of strange background noise uh, during um, heat waves. Mm. So according to, to experts, so Ophonic, definitely worth your while. They have the new noise reduction, and they still are offering two hours of free audio processing per month, which is quite good if you're starting in audio production. The next one was, it was both a warning and advice. So WordPress have announced a new plugin for a tech, text, sorry, to speech uh, plugin that will automatically convert the text on any WordPress blog post into a podcast to go on anchor.fm, which is the um, you know brand for, owned by Spotify. And my initial reaction was, this is a terrible thing. Mm. (laughs) Why would you want to do that to your brand? But the other thinking, could it be actually some kind of entry level into the world of audio marketing and audio podcasting? So listen, if you're a WordPress um, blog and WordPress website user, you'd be very, very tempting. I think it's worth your while experimenting. But clearly, as you heard from Roger uh, earlier, you're going to get very bad audio, as in the voice, won't be very human, very realistic, That's probably why Spotify bought that company. It's an antique. So I'm thinking maybe if you want to do it, be clear to your audience, and new find audience on Anchor.fm, and maybe it's an experiment, be clear that it's not coming from you, a member of your team, and maybe this is where you could use maybe an avatar or you know something like this, where you could say it's coming from the virtual uh, team member, and you can give it a name, you can give it an identity, and kind of go all in with the humor and the wit. But um, here you go, WordPress, <laughs> tech to speech, they're all going to do it one with the other.
0: Maybe, Roger, if you can't, you know, find you need to join them. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I don't think I'll be trying it out, Pascal, because of all those reasons I expressed earlier. But, yeah, in certain circumstances, yeah, why not?
1: There you go. Thank you very much for your selection this week, Roger. And as we mentioned time and time again, none of this will be possible without the hard work and vision for pioneers of the recent and distant
0: past. So we can move on to this week in history. In 1893, the world's first Ferris wheel was unveiled at the World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago. Its name comes from the inventor, George Washington Gale Ferris Jr., a Pittsburgh-based engineer. Well, I didn't know that, but in 1951, CBS broadcast the very first commercial
1: colour TV programme. Unfortunately, it nearly went unwatched since most people had
0: only black and white televisions. Ah, absolutely. And in 1954, the world's first atomic power station opens in Obninsk near Moscow in Russia. The city would later earn the title of first Russian science city. Okay, then
1: in 1973, the first Skylab crew of astronauts splashed down safely after a then-record 28 days in space. The Skylab was unmanned, orbiting spacecraft composed
0: of five parts. Wow, I used to have an Airfix model of Skylab. I I mean for me it's still back to this
1: sense of dread of mm. being in space for 28 days in nineteen seventy-three. I mean, like there was not much in terms of track record and things you could use to
0: reassure yourself that things will go well. Absolutely <laughs> right. No, it's scary, isn't it? It's scary. And to think that, that was that was nearly 50 years ago, Pascal. That's that's unbelievable. I wanted to ask you, because you
1: have quite a bit of knowledge when it comes to rides and fun fairs and that kind of environment. Um, I mean, to begin with, I had no idea that the Ferris wheel was my, called um, named after a real person. That, that's my first thing. But that the first one was actually
0: such a long time ago as well. Yeah. And, and do you know what? It's really quite interesting. Around about this time, 1893, from about 1893 to the end of the, uh, that century, there was a lot of very similar Ferris wheels built in cities all around the world, and they all looked pretty much the same. They were m- made predominantly of uh, a steel frame, but they actually had wooden, I don't know what you call them, gondolas, I suppose, the bits that, that people mm. actually sit in. And this one is, you know, those gondolas can hold up to about 10 to 15 people you know you're talking about something along the lines of the London Eye here and yet built over a hundred years ago but it was that combination of the steel frame and the wooden gondolas that really made them stand out and believe it or not as you know I was born in Blackpool and there was one built in Blackpool in Around about the same time, I think it was 1895, the one built in Blackpool. But that stayed in Blackpool for quite a number of years. Obviously, it's not there anymore. But I don't know whether you know this, but there is one that still exists, and it's in Vienna, and it's in the Prater uh, fairground in Vienna, and it's called the Prater wheel. And and it is one of these original steel uh, wheels with wooden gondolas now what they've had to do because of for structural reasons is they've had to take out every other gondola so there are half the number of gondolas now than they used to be but just goes to show these things were designed so well that one of them has survived for over 100 years wow well if you're ever
1: uh, taking part in a pub quiz i mean roger's put yeah. your back there because <laughs> so much information i mean i will confess uh, i've been on a few I just don't like it, you know. I think maybe maybe it's the wood bit and the, mm-hmm. the creaking and the sound and the height. I'm thinking this is so unsavoury. Of course, it wasn't. And I'm wondering back to the running theme of you know, sometimes using uh, wit, humor, and entertainment, where there was a, a way for engineers to showcase their capabilities mm-hmm. by taking you know what they would do maybe for uh, maybe farming, maybe for uh, other form for industry into the world of um, consumer entertainment, but uh, yeah, they, they, they exist everywhere. I mean, I think as a, as a construction, it's almost a symbol you look for in addition to the roller coaster for this is a place to be. Um, I wanted to kind of quickly talk to you about CBS taking the, the brave, you know, kind of uh, gamble of going color. With their program in 1951. And it's back to this tension, isn't it? I mean, you know, the market is primarily made of people with black and white television, Mm -hmm. but you've got to, you know, you've got to start somewhere. And there's nothing like being the first, is there? And what is interesting, so in 1951, they did that one program, which is more about showcasing kind of talent, you know, famous, famous names, but very, very quickly to get more people to be interested in in the color TV program, but of course to go ahead and buy TV um, sets, you know, so that having to fog or the black and white, or maybe as we did did in my house, relegated the black and white TV to the kitchen and then the <laughs> color was, you know, put into the, to the living room. They went ahead with a talent show where normal people would go on TV. would be in color and they would do their bits, singing, dancing, juggling, whatever they do. So essentially whilst people are under the impression currently that the, um, you know, we've got so many kind of relative TV shows and, and one based on, people from, you know, kind of normal people going on to the show to compete, whether as chefs or as singers or our talent. It all started in 1951 in the
0: in the US. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm trying to remember back to when we first got a colour TV. I think my grandparents got a colour TV before we did, because I can remember very, very vague memories of watching Doctor Who around about 1971, 1972, and Doctor Who started being broadcast in colour in 1970. But my first first recollections of watching Doctor Who in colour were from stories which were broadcast in 71 and 72. But it was always my grandparents' house where I seemed to remember the (laughs) colour. I think that in our house we had black and white for a little bit longer. Same here.
1: And I'm, I do believe that, actually, our very first color TV was given to us by my granddad, who went to get a better one. Mm. So we, we basically uh, discovered that uh, people actually were not uh, black and white. You know? mm. Yeah, absolutely. The we're presidents and, and the delight to watch a cartoon in color, not in black and white as well. i, I, I <laughs> forget that. Anyway, enough reminiscing. Let's get back into the present with our creator's shout-outs. Now, every week, Roger, and I celebrate the work of a content creator within our circle, sometime outside of our sphere of influence. So who is under the spotlight
0: this week, Roger? Okay, I'm going to give a shout out for a gentleman that I've known for a very long time. He's called Derek Bradley. He's the CEO of a organization called Panacea Advisor. So it's a financial services industry thing. I've known Derek for well over 20 years, maybe 25 years. When I was working in big corporate, when I was marketing director in big corporate, I used to talk to Derek all the time because this company, Panacea Advisor, he creates content for financial advisors. And he's been creating content for as long as I can remember. So that means he must be one of the first major content creators probably a content creator before we even talked about content and content creation and every single week for as long as i can remember he puts out a newsletter it's called the bento as in bento box you know the the bento mm. box where you get a little collection of all sorts of different sorts of food he puts out this newsletter week in week out and it popped into my uh, inbox yet again today and I just thought this guy has consistently been putting out content for longer than I care to remember and that qualifies him for a shout out because as we always say pascal when it comes to content consistency is one of the most important things and derek and his organization panacea advisor have been consistent and they have put out quality content for all this time so thanks very much derek and i always look forward to seeing those bentos pop into my inbox that's wonderful
1: well this week actually a great pleasure introduce you to Rob Beadle. Rob is a B2B tech SaaS and finance copywriter and brand storyteller on a mission to help you start a conversation with your future customers. And what is delightful and the timing of the shout out is Rob was recently shortlisted as one of the top 100 digital content creators by the Knowledge Exchange Program in Yorkshire. And what is delightful as well for us is that Rob, whilst looking after his many, many customers, still has time to write for himself and for his audience. In the show notes, I've given you a link to his uh, section on copywriting tips, um, which is very, very generously uh, pulled together. So if I just up your appetite with titles such as How to Win Your Customer's Trust Online, Three Unusual Tips, How to Explore with Effective Content Ideas, How to Write Like a Human, Roger, Maybe in future, you could say how to sound like a human, seven ways to choose the best words and how to write effective B2B email subject lines, and so it goes on. So not only, you know, is is he busy ac- across the Texas and finance sector, but still finding time to share advice through long-form content as well as short-form content. I will say his website is almost like a, a, a almighty case studies because the way he's written the advanced section, the way he's written the case studies of his work, the way he's written all sorts of things is really an exemplar of what you should do for your business, but of course, is showcasing his work and his amazing skill set. So
0: my shout out this week is Rob. Biddle fantastic and as we always say on this show everything starts with the customer uh, you know I, I was I was reading an article the other day and I almost included it as my content spotlight purely because it annoyed me but this article was about what a guy looks for when he's recruiting marketing people and he came up with this list of uh, criteria and not one of those criteria included the word customer and I was just thought oh for goodness sake it all starts with the customer so great job Rob. Absolutely. Thank you very much. All right,
1: Mr. Roger Edwards, Mm. we have reached the time to make our segue into film marketing. This is episode number 80. You've chosen a film released in 1980, The Empire Strikes Back, just after this. So, Roger, we're going to go back 40, 42 years in time And you're not going to be watching the original trailer that the audiences around the world first saw and heard.
2: Luke Skywalker and Han Solo rescued the princess, destroyed the Death Star, but their story didn't end there. creators of the biggest smash hit of all time bring you the next episode in the Star Wars Saga, The Empire Strikes Back. The continuing story of our band of heroes. Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, Han Solo, C-3PO, R2-D2, and Chewbacca. And introducing Lando Calrissian. It's an epic of romance. Of heroes and villains. They cross trackless voids to unknown worlds. Odyssey against oppression a big new sprawling space adventure in the Star Wars saga the Empire strikes back coming to your galaxy next summer
1: wow now this is how (laughs) you cut a trailer we're going to come back to it in a moment but um this is going to be an interesting one you know for me the best sequel ever, the best loved Star Wars movie ever. Um, I mean, let me show you very quickly, for those of you watching videos, this is my kind of custard for my my glass of water, you know, the Darth Vader mask. <laughs> and for I mean, you and I love Star Wars so much. And this has been on the, the list of film marketing uh, kind of uh, movies to review for such a long time. How important is the
0: Empire Strikes Back to you? I've got so many strong memories of going to see Empire Strikes Back. Probably stronger memories of going to see Empire than I have of the original Star Wars movie. Possibly because it did create a bit of debate within our family. I don't think my my dad particularly enjoyed it as much as Star Wars he certainly didn't enjoy the darker feel to it me I was just absolutely blown away by it I mean for me there was more action than the original film the special effects were bigger you know those at-at walkers were just ludicrous weren't they I mean so big and so massive and so powerful and yet so ludicrous if you think that they were actually based upon elephants, I guess, and that, well, they've got legs, so all you need to do is to get the legs to tip over. And I remember as well, being disappointed that Leia started getting feelings for Han <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking no it Leia should be getting together with Luke that's the way it's got to be and of course of course I didn't know like nobody knew at the time that Luke and Leia were actually brother and sister which would have which would would put a really really dark uh, um, cloud over that sort of direction but at the time I'm thinking no I can't handle this I don't want Han Solo and Luke to get together And if you notice in the trailer, there was actually in the trailer, a deleted Mm. scene of Luke going in for a kiss with Leia. So I must have sort of subconsciously remembered that from the trailer and then sort of got disappointed when I saw it. And of course, how could we ever forget that sort of life changing, defining moment where Darth Vader makes that big reveal? Luke, I am your father. I mean, my Goodness, could there ever be a cinematic moment better than that?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. You, you're right. You know, we, we have more uh, planets. You know, you've got Hoth, you've got Dagoba system, you've got Bespin, you know, you've got all this. The music, by John Williams, is even better. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still, to this day, I mean, I'm picture and were perfect like you on Empire Strikes Back, I still get so excited when, you know, the, um, the they've got a the chase in the asteroid belt. And mm-hmm. and what I've done as well in, in this movie directed by Evan Kushner, written with George Lucas and, and his um, and his colleagues, there's surprises after surprises. I mean, literally, you're taken to a world that you, know, you don't know and understand. And as we'll discuss in a moment, historically, and even after this, actually, when you hear the word sequel, you kind of go, oh, here we go again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be a rehash. It's going to be poorer. They're going to have less time, less money, uh, less talent. And if anything, they, they had more talent. The, you know, the special effects, you're right, the, the soundscape as well. And this is Jeopardy. And of course, it finishes on a cliffhanger, Mm. um, Mm. which also had people debating, critics, and so on. Um, I mean, literally, we we could do a whole uh, show and we should invite maybe our friends from Spark Rebellion and Sequel uh, Pitch, you know, to talk about Empire uh, to the point where whenever a uh, movie magazine or film festival do a kind of survey and poll, Empire always ends up on the top five, if not the top one of this is the
0: best film when it comes to cinema. Yeah, I think what people have got to really understand is how big a deal empire was when it came out i think if you actually look at the environment that it, of hollywood in that time just before the night before the 80s started it was struggling wasn't it you know television was becoming you know we would have had a, a couple of decades of color tv hollywood was struggling there'd been some big films like jaws but when star wars came along it sort of started to redefine hollywood to a certain extent but star wars was still a film on its own it stood alone and at the time at the time as you've said sequels tended to be total rehashes of the original you know even down to the fact that the story would be exactly the same. Yeah, they, that's may, right, yeah, they, yeah. they may just change a few characters, they may change a few few locations. But if you look like something look at something like Smokey and the Bandit and compare it to Smokey and the Bandit two, it's exactly the same film just a few different cars a few different characters and another one that comes to mind is the Clint Eastwood um, series every which way every which way but loose every which way you can almost exactly the same film and you know Empire almost didn't go ahead because the big in Hollywood said to George Lucas a sequel will be less good than the original and we don't want anything to tarnish the original's, uh, you know, gravitas. So they almost didn't make it because they didn't think they could make a sequel that was better than the original. And of course, we're lucky that um, George Lucas stuck to his guns and he produced, perhaps as you've said, one of the best sequels ever made. You know, it was darker than the original, but that was a bonus as well. Um, it was bigger budget. It had more locations, if you said, better special effects, better music, everything about it. And, and that, on its own, completely changed the whole sort of mindset of Hollywood. And from that moment on, everything that we now take for granted, like the Marvel expanded universe and the, the DC Comics expanded universe and these, these films that form part of greater narratives, you can trace it all back to Empire Strikes Back. And, you know, we always say on the show that we we owe this massive debt to the people back in time that invented application forms and invented technology. We actually owe a massive debt to George Lucas for getting Empire to screen because it absolutely changed the way that sequels were made and it started this whole wider sort of narrative thing that we now take for granted. Absolutely. And what is
1: fascinating is you could, and time is against it to do it, you could try and um, play the the contrast game between what they could do and the marketing uh, kind of initiative of the 1977 original yeah. and what was possible in, in 1980, which is not, you know, not many years later. What I think is still very important to note is that this remained an independent production. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. back to, you know, the, the, the misgivings of the finances and producers, George Lucas went, that's okay. Uh, I'm going to f- go ahead and finance this myself yes. and yes. You, you guys will come around. And, 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 and so they did. Okay. Let's move on then to to the marketing element, and actually, let's talk about this trailer, which was shown in the autumn winter of nineteen
0: seventy nine. Yeah. Now, when I rewatched this trailer, I couldn't believe it. um I mean, yes, I, I was intrigued again by some of the deleted scenes, which are quite interesting. You know, Luke. Moving in for a kiss on Leia. But what shocked me was this really cheesy, diabolical voiceover that apparently Harrison Ford did for it. And it just sounded so sort of uh, just wrong. Um, and I'm just thinking, how, why did they do that? It just seemed to me to cheapen the whole deal. And I can almost imagine them having to force Harrison Ford to do it and he sat there in front of the microphone, just rolling his eyes, thinking, oh, please don't make me read out this script. But you like think, it though don't you <laughs> I think
1: it's brilliant I think it's exactly the way it should be now let me let me give you a uh, reasons to why and you must feel free to disagree let's cast our mind back to you know the origin of star wars and and what was driving george lucas was to reconnect and almost show to a younger audience mm. his youth around tv series and radio series and i think that the um, the brief to to Harrison Ford is can you find a way to almost take us back to the fifties and the sixties, where someone who's, who's listening to, you know, the Marlowe detective series or or Buck Rogers or, or Flash Gordon, as we know, was a big big inspiration, where the voice is recounting what has happened, and now we're back into episode number seventy seven or whatever you know they, they were listening to. So I think there was an, the element of nostalgia to reconnect that, but also very cleverly, you could actually listen hear this on radio. So for me, there was a dual purpose, which was this could be the trailer. And you're right, there are so many deleted scenes. I mean, like Star Wars nerds and historians like you and I and Mark Asquith and, and, and Gary would we'll be all over it because there's the scene of um, C-3PO who is playing a trick on the uh, stormtroopers and I can think she never made it through the final version. So for me, it was almost taking us back to that era that George Lucas is so fond of, and including his uh, friend Steven Spielberg, and also means that this would play superbly uh, on radio. I'm told through, you know, obviously, research and trivia, that there is even a version that actually George Lucas didn't go ahead where, where Harrison Ford sounds even more hysterical,
0: and they didn't go for that one. They went for the one that we heard a moment ago. Okay, I'll give you that. I have to say, yeah, <laughs> thinking about it. No, that it works, actually, if you think about it, because I know that... George Lucas was very much influenced by those 1930s, 1940s cinema serials like Flash Gordon, the original Flash Gordon, and Buck Rogers in the 25th century. And yes, their their trailers had that voiceover. It was very animated. It was a little bit cheesy. And I can see how that actually fits in with what Lucas was trying to to go for, yeah, okay, <laughs> no problem at all. Now
1: the the trailer and the audio uh, ends with the breathing of Darth Vader, which actually has been used in then much much later movie productions, even TV series like the sign that you know of the biggest villain. Ever, mm. um, on to, to the big screen, which led them to go ahead in the autumn uh, winter of seventy nine with a teaser poster. Which again, I don't, think, I don't think was done a lot. There was a poster, and that was your lot. And here there was a teaser poster of you know the the, the whole kind of helmet and and kind of upper part of Darth Vader. The Star Wars saga continues. Then you had that kind of title which in, the, in this very unique calligraphy. You had the the billing and coming to your galaxy
0: this summer. Yeah, I mean, and and, and let's face it, there were people who thought Darth Vader was was dead because at the end of Star Wars, you know, his, his <laughs> yes. Tie Fighters spiralling away. I think it actually did correct itself and then fly away. But a lot of people thought that he was dead. I mean, the main poster uh, again, beautiful piece of artwork. Mm. Um, I love the original poster. You've got you've got Darth Vader again there, but you've then you've got that controversial sort of um, almost like. Uh, cinematic swoon where uh harrison ford is leaning over about to kiss princess leah and again i'm thinking no 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 that's not that's not meant to happen but what i didn't know pascal is that they did another poster later because people were complaining that lando calrissian wasn't in the original poster
1: yeah well the thing is uh, back to 79 or 78 when they filmed 79 and 80 um, Lando was a, a supporting uh, character, very much like Boba Fett. You know, you, can, mm. you could argue. So, for the filmmakers, um, they didn't really uh, appreciate, and even would have guessed that people would have loved the character. I mean, I, I thought you know it was an important character. So, I would agree that um, if you want to have the, the poster on your bedroom wall, as I did, you want this poster to capture you know all the different elements of the movie, and the character of Lando is
0: so so important to the point where he's obviously made a few appearances yeah absolutely now one of the things that really struck me about the marketing for Empire Strikes Back (laughs) was of course the merchandising now when Star Wars was launched into in 1977 they didn't really they didn't really realize how big the merchandising could be and a lot of the merchandise actually didn't make it out into the market until after Christmas of 1977. So they sort of missed the boat, didn't they, with getting all the toys out for the original Star Wars film. So they made sure that they didn't miss the boat for Empire Strikes Back. I mean, everything was out there bef- well before the film. And in fact, they actually blew quite a few spoilers, didn't they, by getting some of the toys out. So the At At Walker toys were out in the market before the film came out. So, you know, that reveal of the At At Walkers and how they looked. Was ruined for some people because the toys were already available Uh, but they absolutely went all in didn't they because the studio really for the original Star Wars apart from the trailer apart from the posters they didn't really do much now the marketing team for the original Star Wars made sure they had a few tie-ins with Marvel Comics who did an adaptation of the film but beyond Comic-Con and that sort of thing. The marketing for Star Wars was pretty low-key. It was all word of mouth. But they went absolutely all in with Star Wars, didn't they? All the usual trailers, posters, press interviews, production, casting, international premiere, spoilers, and absolute avalanche of of tie-in toys, pinball machines, you know, models, uh, action figures, uh clothed absolutely everything you could think of it was an absolute empire strikes back mania as far as toys and, and merchandise was concerned yeah, and you're right to, to remind all of us, you know, the sequence of
1: events. So with the 1977 77 classic, the merchandising came after. Uh, even in some cases where people would buy the empty box or the voucher waiting for the, the item to be produced, this came uh, before. Mm-hmm. Um, um, my dad had a friend who had the Empire Strikes Back pinball machine in his garage. He bought it <laughs> um, at an auction and it was like the full thing. So, in a way, I remember playing the pinball machine before seeing the game, and therefore that the if people know about Pinball Machine, I'm a huge fan, there is actually uh, almost like a sequence you have to respect to get all the all the major points. So I was playing out the story on this Pinball Machine without having a clue what was going on until I saw the film and realized, oh, right, that's why I had to do this. The one thing that I will say about the um, merchandising, the, the one thing that, to, to my knowledge, they
0: didn't go ahead with as a spoiler is Yoda until much, much later. Yeah, and interesting about spoilers and rumors and this that and the other is one thing which i thought was an absolute genius idea and i've only recently become aware of this now obviously there was a three-year gap between star wars and empire strikes back and they had to keep everybody on their toes didn't they and keep the anticipation building for Empire and there was an article published in Starburst magazine which actually included a load of rumours about what was going to be in the film and that they came up with about 20 different rumours and they knew that some of these rumours were totally and utterly made up but they did it deliberately but they also included things in that list which were actually true so I'll, I'll just read a couple of them out for you. So they talked about Han being frozen in carbonite, which did happen. They talked about Lando Calrissian, which did happen. They talk about Boba Fett, who'd have previously appeared in a in a comic, actually. He, he's but they also talked about Luke actually did hook up with Leia. Wow! They also <laughs> did talk about Luke killing Han Solo that was one of the rumors they also talked about the Millennium Falcon getting zapped into a time warp and going back to the days of the Clone Wars where they would then fight alongside Obi-Wan Kenobi and Luke's father who at that point we didn't know was Anakin Skywalker etc etc and one of the rumors including in that list was that Vader was Luke's father but it was like it was the big reveal hidden in plain sight but it was so clever they sort of wrapped it around some truths and some untruths and nobody really nobody really took any notice of it because well that's absolutely ridiculous isn't it (laughs) it's as ridiculous as luke killing han and there it was pascal before we even went to the very, cinema, it was out there. That very, is that is very clever.
1: Very clever, because Daniel, in 1979, eighty, we're into the realm of fanzines. So mm-hmm. you know, people, there was no internet to speak of at all. So you know, these would have been people, people like you and I, maybe using maybe the one computer in the IT room of the college, typing very badly the news about the Empire Strikes Back and sharing all those um, false rumors. But to have actually the real. Uh, you know I movie reveals in, it's wrapped around fake ones. this is quite quite genius. Going back to 1980 and, and essentially print TV and radio, one thing that they used so you know in 2022, your your think would be very much geared towards social media because that's what people yeah. have access to. But in, in in the late 70s and 80s, you and I can remember, you know, the way in which um the home phone was actually an important item. I mean, I remember running very, very expensive bills for my poor parents who you know, I had to work and clean the car many times to pay off you know the bills <laughs> I'd be running for them because I would do things like, for example, Lucasfilm, I set up a, a, a hotline number yeah. where yeah. you could ring to hear a message from the cast members. But that was like a, a
0: premium number. Yeah, <laughs> it would probably yeah.
1: helped pay for the, some of the marketing.
0: Yeah, and uh, well, I, I remember phoning that number myself, so I think I must have run up a, a pretty big bill as well. And and talking about the actual launch of the film in uh, in 1980, um, one thing that I didn't know again was that Fox demanded that they that the cinemas actually had the film running for 28 weeks whereas normally it was 12, so that was a revelation. And I think I did know this, but the actual original premiere of the film took place in London, as opposed to America, which is what you would have expected. Because in those days, remember, Pascal, normally films would be launched launched in America, and in the UK we might actually have, have had to have waited like, 6 months before we get them in the UK whereas of course these days it's pretty much usually on the same day or within days isn't it but yeah the the premiere was uh, in london but i guess if you think about it a lot of star wars was filmed at elstree i think was it elstree right, yeah, yeah. it so, is yes so mm-hmm. there there they are I think that's that feels good, you know. This nod
1: to the hard work of of the, the UK, you know, um, crew in particular, and saying Let, let's do one. But I think in terms of the the premiere, from a marketing point of view, it, it was a bit complicated and convoluted because actually, back to you know this comment about CBS and their first t- t- colored TV programs, what they wanted to do here is obviously give people an experience. So actually, the first prints. Of the Empire Strikes Back were in 70 millimeters, uh, uh. and not many cinemas had the right projectors. They had to wait a few weeks before they went back down to the normal standard 35 mil. So I think there may be some elements of that. But yeah, you're right. You know, um, the first first real premiere was um, in in London, and then people you know had to wait for their own premieres around the world. But in terms of the PR and marketing, I mean, the the, the cast in particular, and and the producer went around pretty much all major cities globally. That was like a world trip. And if you take the trouble to watch Henri play some of the Star Wars celebration, the interviews of Mark Hamill, you'll say, you know,
0: sometime he didn't know where he was literally which country he was until he heard somebody speak <laughs> absolutely right now Pascal we could carry on talking about the marketing for Empire Strikes Back for another couple of days because obviously it's 40 years since the original film came out and since then there have been special editions there have been VHS versions there have been DVD versions there have been blu-ray versions um, box sets you name it there's been a different version of it but the only piece of marketing that has been done since that i wanted to just highlight purely from the point of view of the fact that it's absolutely gorgeous is the 40th anniversary poster which probably got lost a bit in 2020 in 2020 because of the pandemic but the 40th anniversary poster is absolutely gorgeous it really just features darth vader and luke And there's a lot of tech. There's TIE Fighters, at Walkers, Walker, Star Destroyers, etc. And it's very symmetrical and it's very Mm. grey and black. But I think it's absolutely gorgeous. So I thought I would give that one a shout out amongst the millions of other things that we could have talked about that have happened with Marketing Empire since it was originally launched.
1: Yeah, and I'll just close on that. I have to agree, you know, the um, that poster, it only actually makes me feel very sad that because of the pandemic, we didn't have, as fans and as filmmakers, we didn't have the 40th anniversary. Maybe there'd be something for the for the 45th, <laughs> and maybe we should find a way to get involved, you and I. Yeah. Um, what I will say, taking us back to the 1980s, and in terms of the success, but also the, the different, different times, Empire Strikes Back used to come back on the big screen regularly. So nowadays, a film is is released, goes onto the big screen once, then goes into streaming, and really you have to be an enlightened in you know, a cinema owner to do re uh, rescreening because of anniversary and so on. And you and I were able to go to the movies regularly to watch again Star Wars and Empire for, for decades. You know, it was a normal thing to do. And I wonder whether we should sometime go back to this habit of showing a movie again because of course it has to be enjoyed on the big screen. I would absolutely agree with that, Pascal. <laughs> Listen, this is, has been an absolute Pleasure, episode eight zero eight. Team, my dear friend, thank you everyone for your amazing support. Don't forget to leave comments and suggestions online and also through speakpipe.com forward slash two gigs and a marketing podcast. Thank you so much. Until the next one, go out there and be sure that your marketing is done right. I was Pascal Tintoni and he was Roger Edwards.